The following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning, ICC. Um, it's good to be here with you worshiping. Um, you know, this, uh, this past Christmas, I was thinking back, was um, kind of a downer for me. I know it was about a month ago, but I found out that on, uh, on Christmas Day that one of my favorite uh, singer-songwriters, I've actually mentioned him in a sermon before, had passed away on Christmas Day, at George Michael. Um, <laughs> did anyone else get really upset about this? Like, it really ruined Christmas Day for me, and I don't know, maybe you guys listened to Twyla Paris and Michael W. Smith growing up, but... I listened to George Michael, and as soon as I heard the news that, you know, that he had died, I, I found myself like, listening to all these old George Michael songs, and just, just sitting on my living room, like, this George Michael playlist, my wife thought I was crazy, but it set me off on this journey uh, this past month of listening to all these old songs that I grew up on, right? Um, I have Amazon Music, if you have Amazon Prime, it's great, and I've just been running this playlist of these top hits from the, from the 1980s in my car, right? And so a couple Sundays ago, I was driving home from church with my kids, and I started blasting this tune, and I want to see if you're familiar with it. Pitbulls feel this moment, okay? This is Take On Me by AHA. It was released in 1985. Uh, turn it down a little bit. This song uh, brings me back to my adolescent days. Okay? Late 80s, early 90s. Z Cavarici pants. You guys remember that? You get a picture of that? Yeah. Um, polo shirts with the collars up. <laughs> right? Uh, John Hughes films. Remember those John Hughes films? And, uh, you know, when I hear this song, it just brings a flood of emotions. And I just, I have to sing along. I have to dance. My kids think I'm crazy because I'm dancing in the car. You can turn it off now. I'm not going to show you my dancing skills. I grew up Presbyterian, so I don't have any. But has this ever happened to you? You know, where you listen to an old song and you hadn't heard it in ages. And, and in an instant, it stirs up all these emotions and it transports you back to a time and a place that you'd all but forgotten. Right? Music and, and song has that kind of power, doesn't it? It has the power to, to stir our souls right, deep within. You know, this entire month we've been going through a series entitled um, The Church, God's Wisdom on Display. And Pastor Steve has been speaking about how how the church, you know, how our faith community should be unique from all other communities. Unique in the way that we come together. Not because of our shared interests, or because we look alike, or our shared culture, but because of our shared love for Jesus. And how from that love, we're called to reach out to people we don't know, strangers even, and show them hospitality. We're called to speak truth in love. We're called to demonstrate our love to one another. 
And so this morning, I want to speak to something that we do every, every week as a church. And yet for many of us, I think we, we really put much thought or energy into it. Right? As singing. Right? We just spent the first portion of our service doing it. Um, just like so many churches across America today. But have you ever stopped to think about, like, what are we doing here? Like, why, why are we doing this? Why do we sing? Can you think of any other time in your life when you gather together with a group of adults and you sing together out loud? It's pretty rare, isn't it? Uh, I could think happy birthday for children usually, right? Uh, when you, national anthem. When you get drunk. I, I hope that's rare. When the Cubs win the World Series. That's really rare. But that puts a song in our heart, right? All right? I'm sorry, I'm a Cardinal fan. I just had to put that in there. And so, if you've ever invited a non-believer to church, I'm, I'm sure you've kind of been in that place where you've, you've kind of, you know, we begin singing, you begin thinking like, man, I wonder what they're thinking, you know? I mean, this is such a, a really strange activity if you think about it. You know, I, I actually appreciate the worship at our church, thankful for, for Juno and his leadership and and uh, I'm not just saying this, that because, you know, I get the opportunity to lead every once in a while, too. But I think compared to a lot of churches out there, um, our church is pretty, pretty engaged in worship. And I often come away uh, blessed you know, from having participated on Sundays in this, in this worship. But that said, I, I, I think this is still an area of growth for us. And the most obvious proof of that, I think, is seeing how empty this room is at 9.30 a.m., right? Uh, today I counted 17 people sitting in the, in the pews at 9.30. And it's usually around 15 to 20 people, right? And that, that's about 10, 15% of our church, if you think about it, right? And I, I know many of us have young children. Things happen. Diapers explode, you know. And, but it, it's pretty much, I think, the same 20 people or so that are here on time. So I just want to challenge you with this. You know, if you're, if you're coming to late to church is more the norm than the exception, then maybe that's actually a reflection. You know, a reflection of how much value and importance we put on worship. And, you know, it got me thinking, maybe we don't fully engage in singing and worship because there's something missing in our understanding about why we sing and worship. Why does God call his people to do this? God calls us to sing and worship so that we can grow in our love for him and our love for one another. It's just that simple. God calls us to sing in worship so that we can grow in our love for him and for one another. And so when we choose not to sing... When we choose to sit out by coming late, or we choose to sit on the sidelines by not participating, we're actually missing out on one of the most profound ways in which we are to experience and express God's love to him and to one another. Okay? So let's explore this. Why we sing in church by looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. It says this, Look carefully, then how you walk... Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
How many of us make really good use of time all the time? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, uh, I know a few years back, Pastor Steve um, did a series on the book of Ephesians. And if you recall from this letter, when you, when you read it, start to finish, you'll notice that there are a few themes that, that keep emerging, right? There's a very strong emphasis in Ephesians on this idea of unity in the church, right? Not just for Ephesus, but for the, for the universal church, right? Capital C. And this is why Paul draws on this metaphor of the church as Christ's body, right? He's fleshing out this idea that we, we are one. And the way that Paul defines how that unity should be evident is in our love. That's what we've been talking about so much these past few weeks, right? Our love for Christ, our love for others, that is what should be binding us together in unity. And this is why the word love appears so many times in this epistle, right? Speak the truth in love. Walk in love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Over and over again, we're told to love because love should be the unifying and the defining characteristic of the church. They will know we are Christians by our love. Now, when we get to these verses in Ephesians 5, Paul is about to reveal something big. He's going to tell them how they would find the power to love. And we find it in verse 17 and 18. He says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is what God desires for you. Not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. God's will is for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in love. God never asks us to love in our own strength, but to love in His, by being filled with His Spirit. Now, if we were to chart this out um, visually, I think it would look something like this. You know, we talk about unity so much in Ephesians. And as I mentioned, it's the love that's going to unify the church the way that God designed it. Right? Our love for God, our love for others. And the way that we would be empowered to love would be how? Not in our own flesh, but by the Spirit. And so the Spirit is the one who will Give us the power to love him and to love one another. Right? And here's the kicker as we read these verses in Ephesians 5. It's telling us that singing actually plays a key role in allowing us to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing. Now I'm not saying that that's the only way to be filled with the Spirit and discover the power to love is singing. Right? But what I am saying is this, it's no accident that immediately after commanding the church with this imperative, be filled with the Spirit, we're encouraged to do just that, to sing. This is not a new command, right? All throughout the Old Testament, God's people are gathered and there's this command, this very active verb, they're called to sing, right? Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. And give thanks to his holy name, Psalm 30, verse 4. 
Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 42.10 And this is why the biggest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. It's the songbook for God's people. So why does God call us to sing? You know, I'm convinced that singing is not just the product of a spirit-filled life, right? It's part of the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to fill more of your life, a spirit-filled life that is defined by love. So let, let me explain what that might look like through the act of singing, right? Um, you know, I know a good number of us are involved in these journey groups right now. We're meeting in threesomes. And we're in the middle of discovering right now um, the ways that each of us are wired to express our faith, right? And we've been journaling some of this um, based on some of these ideas that are found in this book by Dennis Hollinger, and it's entitled Heads, Hearts, and Hands. Head, Heart, and Hands. And in this book, he breaks down people in, in, in the church down to three basic groups, right? Just like the title, Head, Heart, and Hands. And not to oversimplify this, but head people are generally um, pensive thinkers, right? People who love facts, logic, and who enjoy expressing their faith through the study of doctrine, you know, um, teaching, sharing ideas. And they can sit for hours just studying the Bible, right? Talking theology. Heart people are passionate feelers. Those who generally are more in touch with their emotions. And so they prefer to express their faith in these modes. Ways in which they can feel and experience. And so, you know, heart people can spend hours praying or singing, just being in the presence of God. Right? And then we have purpose, uh, hands, hands people, which are purposeful doers. Right? Focused on action and what needs to be done over what they might think or feel. And so they tend to be more pragmatic, missional, right? and express their faith um, in pursuing social justice, and serving others, doing outreach. Right? Now, all of these are needed in the church. And you may look at this list and think, oh, I, I fit right into this. Or you may think, oh, this other person fits right into this, right? But the challenge that Hollinger identifies is that most of us tend to favor our own natural uh, faith expression. And so we never really stretch beyond our own comfort zones. And so as a result, we, we don't grow. And we don't realize the fullness of Christ, who demonstrated a perfect balance of all these different dimensions of expressing faith. And so some of us have a deep theological faith that's full of sound doctrine, and yet we struggle to connect with God on an emotional level, right? Be it in worship or in prayer. And others of us, we love to experience God moving inside of us. And so prayer and worship, we're per that's, that's, you know, that's the air we breathe. Yet we're perfectly content in remaining shallow when it comes to our understanding of who God is or who we are in him. While others of us may be more like Martha, right, in the Gospels. We're very eager to serve the Lord, very diligently. But we get frustrated by those who choose to sit at his feet. There's so much work to do. Let's do it. <clears throat> and I'm bringing this all to your attention because I want us to stop and think and be introspective about how our natural faith expression, you know, be it head, hearts, or hands, 
may play into the way that we choose to engage in worship and singing in the church. And how if we don't consciously work against our natural bent, right, that we may be actually missing out on how God desires to grow us through the way that we engage in worship and sing as a body. Uh, if I had to guess, um, I think most of us at ICC are thinkers. Head people, right? We like to swim in these waters, you know, the waters of knowledge and intellect, logic, ideas. And I think that's largely why so many of us enjoy Dr. Steve's preaching and teaching. You know, there's a lot of that. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think for those of us who struggle in corporate worship, now I want to suggest that maybe our heady personality doesn't just inform who we worship, but it actually affects how we worship, right? Quietly, pensively, to ourselves. And I think that's a shame because something is lost if worship is nothing more than just a mental exercise. When it comes to singing, there's a big difference between thinking and doing. And sometimes when I'm I'm leading worship up here, there are a good number of people, I, I think, who just aren't singing. Um, some of you may be staring in the space. Um, some of you have your eyes closed. Some of you have your lips closed. And look, I understand some of that falls on me as a worship leader. Sometimes we introduce too many new songs. Sometimes the songs are really complicated. They're hard to learn. But you know, I'm not convinced that that's the only reason. And I'm not trying to sound judgmental. And I, I, don't, I don't want us to get legalistic about this. Because I know for many of us, worship time is used for personal reflection, for meditation. Maybe you prefer to sing in your head. And if that's the way you worship, you know, I'm, I'm not here to bash that. And those times are important, right? Those times are needed at times. But I wanted to suggest that those times should actually be an exception when we gather here. Because when we choose not to sing, we, we're missing out on something that God wants to give us. Something he wants to stir deep within our hearts that goes beyond our heads. You know, John Piper um, says this. He says, So music and singing are necessary to Christian faith and worship for the simple reason that the realities of God in Christ, creation and salvation, heaven and hell, are so great that when they are known truly and felt duly, they demand more than discussion and analysis and description. They demand poetry and song and music. Singing is the Christian's way of saying, God is so great that thinking will not suffice. There must be deep feeling. Talking will not suffice. There must be singing. This is a big reason why we sing. In God's wisdom, he created music and song as a way of engaging both the head and the heart in a way that nothing else can. And as Piper states, it would be a great loss if the beauty and the glory of these truths that we hold to were only confined to our heads. They need to be known, yes, but they also need to be felt. Through song, God has a way of taking these truths that we know and making them come alive in our soul. So we can experience God and God's truth, not just in my head, but in my heart, on a whole different level. 
And I'll show a brief uh, TED video clip that, um, that kind of speaks to this, how music affects our brains. In the last few decades, neuroscientists... So neurological science now shows that when the brain is listening to music, the entire brain lights up, right? Just like they said. And it's, un it's engaged unlike in any other activity. And this is even more true when the brain participates in playing instruments for music, right? How many of us in here play an instrument? Raise your hand. We're Asians, that's it? <laughs> I'm going to argue that all of us actually play a musical instrument. It's sitting right here. It's our voice. Right? It's a built-in instrument that God has put, has given each of us for his glory, for our good. And this is what we were made for. We were made to worship. We were made to sing. It's such an important part of who we are. This is what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. This may disappoint some of you, but that's true. <laughs> Let's get started now, right? But when you break it down, you know, this, I want to show you this diagram of the brain. Shows the left and the right sides, and you may be very familiar with this. Um, but here's what's interesting: when you break it down, on the left brain, it seems to be the domain of the head, right? You advance the slide. Um, you know, we have logic, language, facts, thinking in words, words of songs, right? And on the right side, we have creativity, intuition, nonverbal feelings, tunes of songs, right? And so. When we sing, our entire brain, it says, lights up, right? When we participate, it, it lights up even more. Left, right, up, down, everywhere. And I think as heady thinkers, we're stretched into the domain of the heart, right? From left to the right. Everything is engaged. And we're forced to feel and to experience and relate to God on a whole different level, a whole different plane than just an intellectual one. You know, God calls us to sing and worship so that we might grow in our love for him, not just with our head, but with our hearts. You know, as Jesus told the Samaritan women at the well, the true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. Maybe we learn how to not just worship in truth, right? But in spirit as well. Not just with our heads, but with our hearts. Now, I know we do have some feelers in the room, um, people who are all heart, right? Most days, you, you're probably very excited about singing and worshiping with others, and you're in your element, right? Here, singing. But there are probably days where it's the last thing that you want to do, right? Maybe you got in a fight with your spouse on the way to church. Maybe the kids threw a tantrum this morning. Maybe you're just in a really dark season right now in your life. Well, I believe singing and worship has the power to work wonders for feelers, too. God calls feelers out there to sing, even when we don't feel like it, right? And that's not hypocrisy. That's actually faith. Because the truths that we sing can be used by the Spirit to untangle the contradictions that we may feel in our heart. And this is why God leaves room for lament in so much of the Psalms. Forty percent of the Psalms are this lament genre. These are just expressions of deep sorrow, frustration with the seeming contradictions between God's promises 
and my feelings, my life situation. And there's these desperate pleas and these laments, asking God to enter into this mess that is our lives and to redeem it. Um, Sandra McCracken, the Christian singer, songwriter, um, she says this, I would often sit during these times, if you could advance right to the quote, I think I messed up the slide, but if you can advance to the quote, I would often sit during these times of meditation with a journal, with my guitar, or at the piano, and find that the Psalms gave particular voice to my emotion, my story, and my struggle. The Psalms gave me words when I didn't have my own words. They prompted me to sing a new song when I couldn't find my voice. They directed my heart towards God's faithful, saving love. They have drawn me deeper into a life of gratitude, often by being willing to go deeper into honest sorrow. The Psalms teach me that I can be safe in His good providence, even when everything around and within me feels like chaos. When we hear these ancient words, we are reminded that we are not alone. We are not the first to feel what we feel. There's perspective, humility, and honor in joining together with those who have gone before us. And we are also reminded that we will not be defined by our present circumstances, but by the mercy of God who has committed himself to the full restoration of all things. You know, it's been said that most of the scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms, the Psalms speak for us. When we're lost in sorrow, our hearts are feeling grief, depression. The Psalms has a way of finding words for groans that are otherwise inexpressible. And since this is such a large part of God's word, we know that he not only gives us permission right, to feel these things, but he actually invites us to express them. And so when we invite God's word and sound doctrine and good theology into our worship as heart people, as feelers, just like we find in the Psalms, these truths that we sing together, it has a way of grounding our faith, growing our love for God, right? Moving us away from this domain of just the heart and into these deep and profound truths of who God really is, what we know to be true. So for the feeler who doesn't feel God at the moment, who has temporarily forgotten who he is and what he has done, singing God's truth, singing about his character, his goodness, can be so powerful. So for the feeler, for the heart, people, God says, come. Come and sing. You've worshipped me in spirit. Now worship me in truth. Now for those who may fall in the hands camp, Right, the Martha folks, those who see everything that needs to be done and prefer to just be busy serving God, spend too much time. And other, you know, you, you look at others and you're like, oh, man, you're spending way too much time with God. <laughs> we got to work for God. We got to do things. We got to serve God. What's the word for you? Um, you know, it's interesting. About 20 years after Paul writes the book of Ephesians, this letter, the Apostle John is exiled in the island of Patmos. And he has a vision 
and he writes the book of Revelation. And in the first few chapters, Jesus has a word for seven different churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. And you'll notice this. For the, fir- for the very first church in Ephesus, these are the same guys in this church, right? We're looking now 20 years ahead. He says this, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. Sounds like hands people, right? But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. This is, this is a sad postscript, I think, of the Ephesian church. Because the very thing, 20 years earlier, that Paul was concerned about, the very thing that Paul desired them to grow in, which was their love for God, seems to have somehow been lost over time. Why? They had abandoned their first love for God because apparently they were putting a greater focus on doing God's work, right? Your works, your toil, your endurance. They put more on doing God's works over doing the things that had cultivated their love for him in the past. And I'm convinced that singing was one of those things that this church had stopped doing. But notice this. What is God's remedy for this? He calls them to remember, to go back, and to do what they had done in the past as a way of inspiring that once fervent love again. Remember, therefore, from where you fall, repent and do the works you did at first. You know, this verse has always confused me because it seems to say that, look, if you can change the way, you can actually change the way you feel just by changing the things that you do. Right? But if this is true, this is actually pretty huge. Because when it comes to singing and worship, it's not only saying, do this even if you don't feel it. It's saying, do this, and you will eventually feel it. You will love me again. Sometimes doing, if it's done in faith, just the doing can lead to desire. Do you believe that God can take your voice and worship to him and use it to transform your heart for a deeper love for him. I believe that. Can you think back to a time when you had a more passionate love for God? A time when you sang loudly and boldly. Maybe there was a time when you were unafraid to lift your hands and worship. But now that seems silly. I have kids now. It seems like a distant memory. If you've never raised your hands in worship, maybe now's a good time to ask, why? Like, for real. Like, what, what's, what's holding you back? You know? Uh, I've seen many of you celebrate the Cubs winning the World Series. <laughs> there was a loud shout in the city. There were a lot of hands lifted up, including people in this church. And for good reason. 108 years is a very long time. But if we can raise our hands and shout out loud for the Cubs, can we not do this for Christ? I don't want ICC to be a place where people feel judged if they don't raise their hands, okay? And vice versa. I don't want ICC to be a place where people are judged if they do raise their hands. And I don't want you to force something that isn't there. 
But if you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to lift your hands and worship to Him, I want to encourage you to just surrender yourself to that. If you never feel that urge, and if you have difficulty understanding why other people do it, then maybe that confusion itself is a witness from God to you and to your heart. And I want to encourage you to to explore that with God. When Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, he's saying, let yourself come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Not on wine, but under the influence of the Spirit. He's saying, surrender yourself, your self-consciousness, your fears, your inhibitions, your voice, no matter how bad or good it may sound. These are the small things which are, when done in faith, that can cultivate within you a, a deeper love for God and even for others. So why do we come together to sing? I mean, the truth is, we, we can still do this in our own, right, at home. Why can't we just sing in, in our own privacy? Why does God call us to do this in the presence of others? It's very simple. When we gather in worship, God doesn't want us to express and experience His love alone. He wants us to express and experience the love of others in this body, right here in this community. And this is why God calls us to engage in singing with others in corporate worship. But be filled with the Spirit, verse says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God doesn't just call us to sing, but He calls us to sing with others. And not just to sing with others, but to sing for others. Not just for God. This is what we call congregational singing. And I really pray that this becomes one of the hallmarks of our church. Where the voices of God's people, your voices, are a witness to everyone who enters into this room. That God is alive. That God is here. That he is inhabiting our praises. This is where he dwells. Singing in church is not a time for us just to lose ourselves into our own worlds. God calls us to be mindful of others because in these gathered moments, we're called to minister to others through song. This means singing is not only a way for us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Heart, head, and hands. But congregational singing allows us to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, in God's great wisdom, corporate worship allows us to grow in our love for God and for others because it gives us the opportunity to express and experience both our love for God and for others. All in one place, right here. This is why we come together. Here, we can actually fulfill Christ's first and second greatest commands, to love Him with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, to love one another. And we could do it through song. Um, I've seen the church do something kind of strange um, that we were visiting before we came to ICC. That we, for a few months we were visiting. and um, But it really illustrated to me this, this whole idea of, of congregational singing in a way that I'd never really considered. Um, so at, the close, at this church, at the close of every service, um, we would sing a benediction. But we wouldn't sing it you know, everyone, with everyone staring forward at a screen. Um, we would actually sing it 
um, where everyone would actually get up and kind of walk around as they're singing it. And they would sing the benediction to one another, right? I was debating whether I should do this, and I'm just going to throw myself out here. <laughs> I hope we don't feed back. This is, this is what we would do, okay? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace forever. That's what they do every week. And judging by some of you, it's, it's awkward. <laughs> some of you are like, preach. Others of you are like, stop looking at me. No eye contact. And, you know, I'll admit, the first few weeks, it felt like I was, like, starring in a musical or something. You know, I was walking around, like, singing. It was very awkward. But it began to really minister to me over time because I realized when I come to sing on Sundays, I'm not just here to sing with you. I'm here to sing for you, right? You know, in Ephesians 5, this last section closes with Paul saying in verse 21 that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is called mutual submission. And I believe one of the most powerful pictures of mutual submission is when we come together and we sing out loud in the presence of others for the purpose of others. I want to bless you by my singing. I know I sound bad, but it's okay. I'm going to submit my pride to God and I'm going to submit my voice to you. And when we free ourselves to serve others in our singing, we are loving them even though we may have no idea like how they're doing. What's on their heart? And I, I was struck by this a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I feel like every time I preach, I bring up this little girl, Ava. And um, as many of you may know, she, she you know, passed away on, on New Year's Day. Just after many, many years of battling cancer, only eight years old. And there were a couple memorial services that were, that were um, hosted for her a couple weeks ago. And... Um, there was a smaller one on a Friday night with just you know, friends and family. And, and I, w- I was sitting there and I walked into the room, this memorial service, and it just felt so heavy inside. You know, it was just, no one was talking. It was just so down and somber. and Everyone was just so heavy-hearted. And we opened with worship. And the very first song that we sang was Good, Good Father. We just sang it here this morning. And I've sung that song many times. But, you know, honestly, in in that particular time and place, it it just didn't feel true in my heart. Like, how how could we utter that cliche that God is good? Good, good father. In the midst of an eight-year-old girl whose life was just destroyed by cancer. And as we sang that song, it, it was amazing. You know, I I could hear the voices of God's people singing these truths. And I'll be honest, I don't know how many of us in that moment actually believed it was true. And yet, by faith, we uttered them because we knew them in our heart of hearts to be true. It says, I've, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. 
But I know we're all searching for answers that only you provide. Because you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. And this was the second verse. And um, I, I just, in that moment, I just felt my faith being lifted up. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I was singing those words. It was because of all these people around me who sang them. And in the midst of my own grief and sadness, you know, when my emotions and my feelings would not let me look upward. It was, it was the sound of the saints singing this song that lifted my head and my spirit. You know, this, this is the power of congregational singing, corporate worship. How we might minister to one another even in our darkest places of doubt and disillusionment. Deuteronomy 31, 19 says, Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. When we sing, we're actually bearing witness to who God is, to what he has done. Even if we don't feel like it. In my whole life, I, I thought coming to church to worship was so that I could connect with God. And of course this is true in some sense, but the whole point of coming together is so that we, in this context, in this room, on this day, we can both experience and express what it means to love God and love one another. And we sing for one another. When we sing for one another, we're doing just that. I want us to be a church that loves to sing. Because I want us to be a church that sings to love. Your voice is an instrument given to you by God to bless God, to bless his people. Don't let it go to waste. In doing so, you'll be fulfilling God's command to love him with all we are and love others. This is the picture of a spirit-filled church. This is the church. God's wisdom on display. I'm going to try something a little bit different because I've been doing a lot of different things, right? <laughs> Playing secular songs, walking in the audience. But I want you to, to realize the power of congregational singing and even give you an opportunity right now um, just to practice what I preached, right? To to just surrender yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit in song. Maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about it in this way, right? To just be able to sing, right? I'm going to go in a little weird key, Grace, so it's okay. But um, I don't really want to hear my guitar or my voice anyways. I want to hear you, and I want you to hear each other, each other okay? Because this is, this is the power of, of congregational singing, and I want you to see it for yourself. So let's sing this song, I Love You, Lord. I hope most of you know it. If, if you don't, that's okay. Just jump in. It's very simple. 
anguish, just let's spend a minute as the worship team comes up here, just reflecting on how the Lord is speaking to your heart. Particularly when it comes to singing and worship. Asking to search your heart and reveal if, if this is not important to you. Lord, make it important to me because it's important to you. Come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Surrender to His power. From that power, you will learn to love. To love Him in a way that maybe you didn't think was possible. To experience His love in a way that maybe you didn't think was possible. To love others in a way that you didn't think was possible. To experience the love of others in a way that you didn't think was possible. Given us the gift of song and music to grow us in our love for Him and for one another. This is what we were made for. Let's just spend a moment and we'll sing a couple more songs as you close.